Welcome to Matthew Felix, the radio episodes, Travelers on Travel. I'm Matthew Felix, author of the books With Open Arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco, and the new Porcelain Travels. In February of 2018, what is now my Matthew Felix on Air video podcast began as an internet radio program in downtown San Francisco. The radio episodes, Travelers on Travel podcast, feature segments from that radio show, in which I talk travel with travel writers, journalists, photographers, and filmmakers. I hope you like the show. And don't forget to check out the current video podcast incarnation, Matthew Felix on Air, available here, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening, and talk soon. Hey, check out my new book, Porcelain Travels, Humor, Horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around, Toilets, Tubs, and Showers, an Amazon number one new release in four categories, including travel humor, and winner of Gold for Humor in the 2018 Solas Awards for travel writing. You can also check out Porcelain Travels' companion podcast of the same name, which comprises readings from eight stories, including two recorded before a live audience. Porcelain Travels the Book is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon and other online retailers. Sivani Babu is co founder and creative director of Hidden Compass. She is an award winning nature photographer and travel writer whose work has appeared on BBC Travel, CNN, and in the Adventure Collection blog, as well as in the magazines Backpacker, Outdoor Photographer, and Nature Photographer. Her images have also appeared in Expressions, the showcase publication of the North American Nature Photography Association, and in galleries from Texas to California. Savani served as a Teach for America Corps member before becoming a lawyer. However, her love of adventure and storytelling and her diminished sense of self-preservation took her away from a career as a federal public defender and sent her sailing across the Drake Passage, chasing storms through Tornado Alley, and exploring the remote Yukon Territory in winter on crutches. Last month, she returned from her third expedition to Antarctica, a place that has fascinated her since childhood. Sabine Bergman is the co-founder and editorial director of Hidden Compass. She is an award-winning writer, traveler, and conservation activist, and a contributor to publications such as Wired, Sierra, California Magazine, and the Best Travel Writing book series. Sabine worked as managing editor under the legendary Don George, one of last week's guests, at the Adventure Collection Travel Blog. She has mountain biked from the Andes to the Amazon, spearfished in shipwrecks, and served in the United States Peace Corps. Rumor has it she might have also thrown up while on assignment photographing or photographing, uh, no, photographing, I always mess up that word, sharks in Mexico. And so we're definitely going to have to talk about that. And although Sabine co-hosted an environmental radio show in the Dominican Republic, this is her first time on live radio in her native language. Por consecuencia, esperemos que llegue a charlar con nosotros sin demasiadas dificultades. And speaking of which, if you slip into Spanish, Sabine, you know, we'll understand this is a safe place. Both Savani and I speak Spanish. We can translate for you if you're whatever's most comfortable for you. Just bring me back. We'll I just bring you back periodically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to mention Liz Shamaria, your editor at large, since she was with you, I believe, from the get-go or very close to the get-go. Um, she couldn't join us today because she moved to Italy. Yeah, she's currently at large. She is currently at large. Take that turn, uh, that turn very literally. Uh, but she is a former daily news editor who has contributed to more than a dozen publications and organizations, including BBC Travel, Afar, Roads and Kingdoms, and Human Rights Watch. She has trekked solo in the Himalayas, interviewed artists in military-ruled Burma, 
and studied art and history in Florence, Italy, which obviously went well, because I think that's where she is now, right? Florence? Yep. yep. Uh, Liz earned a master's degree in journalism from the University of California, Berkeley, which I hear is not a bad school, with an emphasis on international reporting and new media. So not a bad core team to launch Hidden Compass into the world. And by the way, and so welcome, Savani and Sabine. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So I'm curious, when did you launch? I feel like this is your, is this like your third... Third edition? Issue, I know. Third they issue? Come, they come around pretty quickly. They really do. It's a quarterly it's magazine. Quarterly, right? And when yeah. we started as a quarterly magazine, we thought, oh, well, you know, there'll be months between. And then every time we're like, oh my gosh, you're about to launch the next <laughs> one. Um, but we launched in August of last year. Of last year. Okay, yeah. that's kind of how it feels with this radio show. Oh, you're doing this weekly. That seems like there's <laughs> seven days between, sh- or six days between show. That's That's plenty of time. And then it's like, oh God. Right. That's not a lot of time. It just sneaks up on you. It does. It sneaks up on you. Um, so first off, we need to address the elephant in the room. Obviously, I just want to get this out of the way. Uh, it came up in my first show. You rejected legendary travel writer John Dor- Don George from your current issue. And my understanding is that Don is bad-mouthing Hidden Compass. So I was just wondering, you know, have you talked to Don? Is there any hope of reconciliation? He's in recovery right now. He's exactly. in recovery. Oh, he was he was in tears after the last episode. You know, he was all smiles on air afterwards. I mean, it was the poor guy was devastated. We have that effect on people. I guess we do. Well, I think it just shows how high the bar is, right? How high the bar is. In all seriousness, why in 2017-2018 now, why a new online travel magazine? There are so many blogs, established magazines. I mean, you yourselves and Liz, I just went through a list of 30 very established, very prominent travel magazines that are out there that you guys have have written for. So I'm curious, how and why did you identify the need for a new one? And what place in the travel world do you guys intend to fill with Hidden Compass? Savani. Well, it started for us with realizing that there are a lot of stories that we love reading and that we love writing. And there was just nowhere to publish those stories. Stories that sort of cross the you know the boundary between travel and other disciplines travel and science travel and history and that kind of pushed the boundaries of the travel genre and so that's kind of where this started for us yeah and the interesting side of that is that we didn't come together to start a magazine we came together to start a writer's group okay and it was through you know we were talking about pitches and stories we wanted to write and where we wanted to publish these pieces and every once in a while a story would come up that crossed genres Um, and we realized, oh, this doesn't really fit into adventure travel, but it's kind of journalism, but it's first-person narrative. Um, And then we thought, well, I don't know if there are places that cross genres like this. I guess we'll just have to start a magazine that does. Yeah, I guess you just got to start your own magazine. Exactly. Let's just address that (laughs) issue. Uh, Yeah, I noticed in your mission statement, you said two of the quotes that stood out for me were, quote, we bridge the gap between travel and other disciplines, like you just said, and then the other one was, share deep stories that push the boundaries of the travel genre. So that sounds like a tall order, again, <laughs> given what's already out there. So how, how do you plan on, what, you, what are your thoughts, and what, again, speaking to the mission of how you want to push those boundaries? And so this is what's interesting, because you, you know, we started this, and I was like, well, this is a tall order. Um, but it's really the writers and photographers and artists, poets. Um, there was a painter who was featured in this issue who came out to us um, with their pitches and their submissions Mm -hmm. um, and we got hundreds of them really uh, right from the get-go yeah so we launched and then we were avalanched by all of these (laughs) potential stories Um, and so the 
the challenge wasn't really finding people who could meet that bar, but sort of sifting through and choosing. I mean, as you mentioned, Don George threw his hat into the ring and Don George is a legend in travel writing. Um, And it's part of it is also just finding the right voices in concert together. Mm -hmm. Because when you put together an issue, you have to find a balance between, you know, you can have someone be snarky, you can have someone go really deep and emotional, um, but you have to have that balance uh, and have it work all together. And that's that's my next sort of set of questions, but hold that thought. Do you want to say anything about pushing the boundaries? Well, uh, yeah, Savannah? I think one of, the, one of the things that has been interesting to us is to see how writers come up with new ways to push those boundaries that we didn't think of. Uh-huh. And, uh, for example? For any, example, any? in our first issue, we had um, painter, author, poet, Anna Elkins, who wrote a beautiful story for us. And it was sort of the evolution of a poem as she traveled through Chile and mm-hmm. was searching for Pablo Neruda and following mm-hmm. in, yep. you know, in, in some of his history. And so not only was the, the writing unique and the writing pushed the boundaries, but so did how we illustrated it. Because she's a painter, she painted the illustrations for the story. That's not something we could have requested someone to do. Yep. And so it's been really, really great and really neat to see how the writers themselves come up with new ideas. Yeah, that was a cool piece because we had poetry and narrative and painting all in the same piece. Um, so, And isn't that part of the fun of the creative process? You guys started off by saying we want to do this magazine and we want to push some boundaries. We want to do some things differently. But that's not even to say that you necessarily know how. And so you end up learning and you end up benefiting by seeing when these people come to you with these ideas that you might not have necessarily even thought about. And so it begins this or it becomes this sort of we all sort of win out of out of the exchange. You guys become enriched, your readers become enriched, and then the the contributors have the opportunity to contribute in ways they might not have been able to otherwise. That's the joy of being an editor, right, is that stories often they evolve and they become apparent to us. And you know this as a writer, as you sit down and you have a story in mind, but often that story has a mind of its own and it develops. And as an editor, you get to go through that process with a writer, which is just amazing and sometimes painful and sometimes revolutionary. Um, And it's been really cool to see, to get a pitch or a submission of a story and to see the shape of something remarkable and then to work on it together and and realize, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was going to this place. Yeah. How do you guys, how do people find you? I mean, because initially your first edition, is it just kind of word of mouth? Were you just working social media nonstop? Because you said you've got this deluge of submissions. So obviously the word is out, which is fantastic. How did you do that? Is it just the typical, again, typical channels or? Yeah, it was a lot of word of mouth. We started with our networks. We worked social media, posted calls for submissions all over Facebook and various Facebook groups and things like that. And then I think word started to spread. And and so we've gotten submissions. I mean, even that first issue, fear when you launch something like that is right. nobody's going to submit anything. And what are we going to do? Write a lot of stories. <laughs> right. And that was not the problem we had. Uh-huh. The problem we had was we had hundreds of submissions and we had to go through them all. And um, and now we get submissions. We're, you know, I've been amazed at how consistently we've been getting submissions, even when we're not putting out a call. Just rolling submissions, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to one of my earlier questions, one of my first questions about the need and is there this space that you're that you're there to fill? And I think the answer then is very clearly your there's more of a space to fill than you even probably realized before you embarked upon this this yeah, adventure. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. And what's been really cool is working with people who have been really established in the industry. I mean, Bob Holmes, who right. has just a legendary photographer 
who came to us and said, you know, I almost died in Pakistan multiple times and kind of want to write about it for your magazine. <laughs> and we're like, wow, like here's, you know, yes. National Geographic photographer. <laughs> right. How do you say no to that, right? Exactly. Um, and so that's what's been really cool is to talk to people who've been in the industry for a long time and say things like, you know, it's, there aren't as many places to publish these kind of stories, and so we want to come to you. Right. 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 And that was, and going back to what Sabine said earlier about, you know, kind of the joy of being an editor, Bob's story was one of those stories. Because he has this amazing story, and watching it transform into what ended up in the magazine was really interesting. I heard, though, that Bob is such a poor writer because he's actually a photographer that you had to hire a ghost writer. Is there, <laughs> is there any truth to that? No truth to no that No truth to that. Yeah, because that's, that's what I heard. Bob I likes, heard that Bob, Bob is such a bad writer. <laughs> Bob does like to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I, I did read his article. Well, we're not going to talk about the current issue yet. I will okay. just say okay. for now, hold yes. that thought. Yes. I read his article. I loved his article. And I'll tell you why when we get to that section. But before we do, let's go back just one step to the, the process. So, you know, in your current edition, more or less, and I don't know if you'll agree with how I'm going to characterize these stories, but it seemed to me as if you had roughly sort of two stories that were diehard adventure, right? One in the Himalayas, one in the Antarctic. Then you had a story that to me felt like it was, there is a trip involved, but it was almost more like more about the relationship and history that needed to be remembered and remembering that history. And then there's one that was a little more lighthearted, a little shorter. So I was curious, is that sort of, and I did read the other, um, the other editions, but I don't remember, is that essentially the template or does it vary greatly from edition to edition based on the submissions? What's your process for coming up for, for that patchwork that makes up the whole? The only template would be the departments that we run. So one of the joys of putting together the magazine was to come up with what kind of stories we wanted to run. And so we have departments. One of my favorite departments is called Chasing Demons Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of the kind of stories that you pitch these days are you are giving readers a sense of how they can enjoy a place or you have an epiphany or it's just like this really wonderful experience. But often travel can reveal dark sides of a place or a narrator or um, history. And so we wanted to have or your sister for or example. whoever <laughs> <laughs> or, your, you or your Italian friend or your Italian friend. Or your Italian friend like who's Matthew's yelling at you. Sending us some I'm looking forward for to this story. Oh my God. I had an Italian friend. We're not friends anymore. I just, I'll just tell this is just a 10 second story, but we're standing in Prague and I don't know what happened. We had been just so close for so long. She has a breakdown and is screaming at me at the top of her lungs in some square in Prague. And, and I think, and I'm sorry to go on this quick tangent and it will be quick, but you kind of just reminded me of this notion that, you know, you can be really close friends or be family members and have a really intimate relationship with someone in your day-to-day life, you get into the travel situation and that it really puts your relationship to the test. And some relationships don't necessarily (laughs) survive because, you know, people travel very differently. Some people need to have everything structured. Some people like, I don't want to know what I'm doing that day necessarily. I don't really have an itinerary. Some of us you know, in this, the three of us obviously like to get outside of our comfort zones and kind of push ourselves. Not everyone likes to do that. Um, so yeah. So when you say chasing demons, that brings up a lot for me. But I, I'm sorry. Go ahead with what no, you I were. Mean, travel yeah. pushes people. Yeah. Absolutely. And it yeah. depends on the day how you're going to react. to Right. That. Some of us have better days. And right. Some of us have worse and we days. all sort of have a travel personality that's not necessarily the same as our day to day personality, and you just don't know if exactly. that's going to mix with someone well. Yes. With someone else. Yeah. Yes. And when it doesn't, oof. Exactly. there are stories there. Yes. 
and that but that's really fun about you know chasing demons and and just part of publishing these stories is that you have this spectrum of the emotions that come out when you travel um and that's one of them yeah right and it's been you know and then we have a department that we call profiles uh, portraits we call it portraits and it's profiles of not necessarily people i think this is the first time we're actually running a portrait of a person yeah. in an issue mm-hmm. the first two issues the very first one it was one of my favorite things that we've run so far was this photo essay by uh, a photographer who is um, based in Iraq. She's a conflict photographer. Oh, wow. And this gave her a chance to document something and write about something that wasn't a traditional conflict, not the kind of work that she'd been doing regularly at that point. And it was this portrait of a hundred year old train in Ethiopia. I loved this piece. I loved that piece. It was, I'm, again, sorry to interrupt, but just to say, if you only look at one, and that's not even true, because first of all, the photography, I'm going to take back over here again for a second. It's my show, right? I can't. And I'm saying it's to say great things about your magazine. So hopefully you'll Go forgive right me. Please but the photography in this magazine is is over the top, is over the top. And that's that was one example. I absolutely loved that that train photo essay. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that. Well, so... Speaking about photography for a second, when we started this magazine, that was very important to us, was elevating the level of travel photography that's currently being published. And, uh, and so that was, that was a focus for us. And so when I saw this pitch come in, and this was not someone who was in our network. Mm-hmm. This isn't someone we knew. And I saw this pitch come in, and I looked at the photos, and immediately I was like, I have to have this. Yep. yep. And, um, and it was, you know, it was one of my favorite stories. I mean, not just the story itself, but the photography is beautiful. And she's an amazing photographer. It's stunning. Absolutely stunning. And she tells a story so well in photos. And, um, and so, you know, that, that was the very first portrait piece we ran. And the second one was a portrait of was the community. Yes. It was a portrait of a yeah. community in Colombia, in Medellin. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, this community, Moravia, which had initially been built on a landfill, on, yep. a, on a dump. And how they've managed to not only survive there, but transform that into a community that they still want to be a part of. With a lot of trials and tribulations and difficulties and, and still, you know, progress to be made. But it's still an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. So you have a lot of categories, and I don't think you address every category and every issue, right? We do, actually. Do you? We have five departments, and we run a story in each department Okay, every okay. Issue. So that is, that's kind yeah. of how you then there structure is, it. There is yeah. a little overlap in that we run a feature and we run a photo feature. Okay. And so each of those fall in a category, but the categories differ depending yes. on the issue. So my next question was going to be, and I think you already answered it, but I'm still curious. Despite this deluge that you get for every edition... Do you ever have something that's so kind of clear in your mind that you'd like to address in your issue that you have trouble finding what you're looking for? Even though you're, <laughs> even though you're drowning in submissions, uh, does that ever happen? It does. And it does. And so this issue, it wasn't as big of a struggle because we had Bob, and Bob is kind of snarky and, and funny. But often we find that we don't get a lot of pitches that have humor in them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint, Matthew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As you're a humorous writer. I would but love often, to be in your magazine. You know, so yeah, we'll talk we about have that. These, like, we get these pitches for these beautiful emotional story arcs. And we're like, oh, we have to have this and we have to have this. And, you know, oh, we want painting. Oh, we want poetry. Oh, we want sketching. And then we realize like this, 
we need to make people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that has been something that often will have to ask for that. Actively. Well, that's really interesting because part of the reason I have not submitted yet, besides a couple of other projects that I've just been kind of obsessed with, is because I didn't know if if there was a place for that, you know, because the that the. the, the because those weren't the stories that I was seeing necessarily. So then mm-hmm. humor, I didn't know is that, are they also looking for that sort of, that sort of vibe? So now that I know that you'll be getting three or four submissions and hopefully one of them will be okay for the next issue. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think part of the reason why we don't get those submissions and we haven't had those stories to run is because we publish the stories that other places don't run. Mm-hmm. Humor is something that I think you can find an easier, you can find other places to, to run a humor story, yeah. a humor story. But because we run and are willing to run pieces that are more serious and more emotional, I think we get a lot of those. And yeah. that's great. I mean, I love reading those. But yes, humor is the one we have a hard time filling. Do you ever find that you get 10 articles? So, for example, it seems that Iceland is one place right now that everybody's <laughs> going. Do you end up with 30 articles on Iceland? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or Cuba. <laughs> and Cuba. Yeah. 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 Cuba. Cuba. India comes up a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, we do. And uh, and it's been, you know, it's not that we're opposed to running a story on any of these places, but so many stories have been run on Cuba right, and Iceland right. that if a story is going to jump out at us, it's going to have to be spectacular. A really different take on or angle on right. Right, that it's place. It's not out there already. And yep. that's hard to do when you have a place like Iceland or Cuba. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And when you when you publish work, you're part of a larger conversation, a societal conversation. And so you have to pay attention to what other people are publishing, too, mm-hmm. um, so that you're contributing something new. Yep. And I think it's been fun for us to publish stories about places that aren't often seen. Yeah. You know, a story about Ethiopia, a story about uh, Baroma, Somaliland. I mean, those are stories that you're not going to see very often because so much of travel writing is convincing people to go to a place. And so it's been really neat to shed some light and to, to tell some stories from places that you don't normally hear about. And that is partly what I found so exciting about that Ethiopia story. First, again, the, the photography was fantastic. The story itself was fantastic. But that's not some place I've heard that much about. And I felt so there. I, those photos took me there to that place and really did transport me there, which, again, I think is one of our main objectives in, in travel writing. And so to get to go to a place that I was so unfamiliar with and get to go in such a provocative, inspiring way was part of why I was just so drawn to that story and love that story so much. Thank Let's you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. And thank the, what was the? Uh... Emilienne Malfato. Okay. I'm going to let you say that. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I had it in writing, I could say it, <laughs> but I don't enough. know that I can repeat it. So let's talk about the business model. So the magazine is free. You pay your writers. There are no ads. Exactly. I, yes. This is a fantastic business model. Runs on hopes and dreams. I, hey, I am, I am for all of those things. But even well-established publications continue to struggle with how to structure their businesses, whether or not to put up paywalls, or in the case of some, publica- some publications like the UK Guardian is now asking their readers to... Um, to voluntarily contribute, which I think is a great model because they actually, they want it to be available to everyone. So they don't want to put up a paywall if they don't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just curious about your model. Do you intend for Hidden Compass to always be free? Do you anticipate changing that over time and eventually getting ads and paid subscribers? What's your, what's your thinking on that? I think it was important to us that the magazine be free. We wanted that to be out there. We wanted people to have access to that writing. And it was also very important to us to pay our writers and our photographers. Um, photographers especially because I think nowadays you can so 
easily go and find, you know, common access photography and slap it onto a photo. Uh, but we wanted to actually track down photographers who had been there and commission photos and commission artwork. Um, so given that those two things were really important <laughs> to us, then we had to get creative um, about the business structure. And that's been constantly evolving, yep. um, which has been really exciting. We sort of started with this idea, okay, well, maybe we'll run travel writing and photography group workshops together and travel together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that we started. And actually next month we're going to be leading workshops down in uh, Carmel and Big Sur. Yep. Uh, which you can sign up as a photographer or a writer and go together. So you can work on, you know, going, jumping back and forth between photography and writing, which, you know, we have to do more and more these days. Yeah. It seems like everyone does both now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the workshops are part of it. Um, and then recently we've started to meander into uh the book publishing arena, which oh, is really? interesting. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> I did not know about that. That was another yes. thing we didn't plan. We never planned to start a magazine. We never planned to become a publisher. And then you just sort of, you figure it out as you yes, go along. That's, that's, that's going with the flow, right? Yeah. Yes. That yeah. is literally going with the flow. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of what you have to do in this industry because yeah. it's still changing. I mean, it's changed so much in the last decade, but it's still evolving rapidly. And so figuring out ways to kind of maintain what we want to do, you know, maintain true to our mission, which was to put this great writing and this great photography and these great, this great artwork out in the world. But understanding that we actually have to make some money to pay our writers and our photographers and our artists. Yep. And so figuring out how to do that is, is constantly evolving. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But this new sort of venture down the publishing road is something we're really excited about. Can you tell us about that yet? Or is it too new to really speak to? Well, because the plan like I said, is, I mean, I think we can tell you a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, the plan is we're going to start by publishing short stories okay, and uh, digitally, digitally publishing short stories. Yep. And then we're going to move towards sort of the anthology and work our way in that way. Try and catch up with Larry Haberger and his 140 books exactly. published. <laughs> yeah, well, we all have a long way to go to catch up with Larry, <laughs> yeah. but no time like the present to get started, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. There's, there's plenty of room out there, as you've already discovered, for this kind of storytelling. So all the best and... Um, we will. I will be curious to see how that evolves, and curious to follow follow that. I think we will too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. We all will. So, um, yeah, I'm going to ask you more about the uh, the workshops, but I'm going to wait to do that because I want to make sure that we have time to talk about the current issue. Yes. So Savani is in the current issue, but Savani is not allowed to talk about her story <laughs> because I had already invited her to be on the show for the second half to talk about Antarctica. And I did not know that in this edition, one of the stories was going to be her story about Antarctica. So she is not allowed to talk about that until the second hour of this show. Um, I will say that I love that story. And I actually, that's, I saw her uh, read that story live, which is how I know that I love it. And then I reread it, of course, prior to this show. So maybe I should just recite that story because now I've been exposed to it so many times. But let's talk. We've talked about Bob Holmes. I mean, I just I feel like we can't get away from Bob. This is like the fifth time we've mentioned Bob Bob's in the show. That kind of guy. He just keeps coming back. Yeah, it's like the tick I had that I couldn't I couldn't get rid of a couple of weeks ago. Um, so uh, tell us about Bob. So we again we've already kind of touched on him a couple of times. He is primarily a photographer. So as we've already talked about this speaks very specifically to your mission of bringing the different disciplines together, having photographers write stories, having, bringing in painters. So uh, tell us about, or do you want to, who wants, because you're the photographer, do you want to tell about, so Savani sure. is primarily, or got started as your love of photography. I mean, that's what your 
kind of started from, right? And now you're branching into writing. Certainly and, where I started in right, the industry. Right, Absolutely. in the industry. Yep. So maybe you can tell us about Bob since that's your... Sure. And and I mean, saying Bob is primarily a photographer is like saying, I don't know, Hemingway was primarily a writer. It's just, right. I right. mean, right. Bob is an amazing photographer. I mean, we yes. use the word, we use the word legendary to describe him. Yeah. Uh, which I think if he noticed that, he was probably would disagree but <laughs> but it's true yeah and uh, he doesn't like praise he does not much. he gets very uncomfortable so when then you let's have keep him on, it on your show you let's keep just, it on right now yeah. wonderful i he love is. bob bob is amazing really bob is he is really one of the amazing. great he's a fantastic photographer this is turning into he's like a, a bob <laughs> fan show yeah yeah uh but but tell us more yes. about his career and why he's so legendary for those well, who don't already know so bob is a you know, has been photographing for decades and he was a climber and a photographer. He did work on Everest and in the Himalaya and all sorts of these amazing places for National Geographic and all of these publications that were still very much in their golden age when he was publishing with them. Right. And so it's, you know, having someone like that in one of our issues is just kind of a dream come true. And the way the whole thing came about was just something I don't think I ever would have seen coming when we were talking about starting this magazine. Okay, which well, you was, have to tell that story. Well, then. which yeah. was him approaching us yes. initially. You know, that's not that's not what I expected when we started this. It certainly would be amazing if it happened, but it's not the expectation. Or if we expected it as like a dream in five right. or ten years from now. Exactly. You know, Once you're established and the name right. photographers coming to us saying, oh, I want to write But we're going to have to work right. up to that. And instead, instead it was after issue our first three. Issue. Yeah. Well, and, it, and he approached us after our first issue. Yeah. It was at the Book Passage Travel Writers and, and Photographers Conference. And, you know, said that he liked what we were doing and he wanted to contribute. And he's, but he didn't know if he had a story to tell. And <laughs> <laughs> that is now that is funny right. that is funny and yeah. so we had lunch with bob and and he sat down with us and he's like i honestly don't know what to write about except there was this time in pakistan when i almost died i was being chased, <laughs> and I was being chased down a mountain mob. okay so sabine tell us a little bit about the story without giving too much away give us sort of a, a high level summary of the story because I mean, it is a great story what i love about this story is there are so many um different threads that that follow through and it's you know we talk a lot about um crossing genres but this was firmly rooted in the adventure travel genre but also making fun of it at the same time yep uh so the title of the story is just another adventure story i almost didn't read the story because i thought <laughs> wow if it's just another adventure story why would i bother right well see that was so bob that was bob's original title and then he wrote back to me and said i think we need to change the title yeah and we were talking and we're like no no no, no that's that we absolutely need to keep no that you can title. tell that it's ironic you can <laughs> yeah. tell that it's ironic yeah yeah exactly yeah um and so th that's what i love about it is this kind of like they're all all the things that happen are very macho and you know they're life-threatening events and you know there's a rescue mission and there's illness and near near-death experiences and you're in this amazing landscape of the Himalaya which are very dramatic um, and all of these things are happening that you know you could tell in a very bravo way of like and then this happened and um, but Bob tells it in a way that shows an, another side of adventure which is adventure happens when everything is going wrong right right um, and not just one thing but things continue to go wrong and just when you think that you've escaped your adventure the adventure continues right um, and it's really amazing in retrospect to look back but when it's happening it's not necessarily the most fun thing ever right and and just to give you a little bit of perspective about what was happening in this story and without telling too much of the story 
let me tell you why Bob was there in the first place. And this gives you an idea of who Bob is and the caliber of, of what was happening. He was there as part of the Royal Geographical Society of London's 150th anniversary expedition. It was 1980. It's the Karakoram, which the Karakoram Highway at that point had just been built, just been completed. It's completely off limits to foreigners. Highway in quotes. Because yeah, when right. you, if you see the picture of the quote unquote highway <laughs> with no pavement, highway is a euphemism if ever there was one. Right. So, you know, this is where Bob was and this is why he was there. And the caliber of the photography, the story itself, I mean, all of it just comes together in a way that is so Bob and so much fun to read. Yes. And one thing I want to say about the story, and then let's talk about the other ones because just in the interest of time. But one thing I loved about the story is something you touched on um, already, Savani, which is I love the fact that the story takes place sort of before... Uh, adventure travel became a thing. I mean, he really was and is a true adventurer. And he, he's living the sorts of experiences that so many of us um, dream about having today. And now people kind of pay to have these sorts of experiences, right? But he's, he's doing this before any of that. I mean, he really is right. having this over-the-top adventure, this, this adventure that so few people even come close to ever having. And again, he's to get to... He's having it by accident. And he's having right. it by Most accident. The piece, you know, right. yes. he well, writes that he went there to, you know, take awe-inspiring photographs and to contribute to this 150th uh, anniversary expedition. Um, but things didn't go according to plan. Things did not go according to plan. And even how he ended up on this expedition was because he had a he had an exhibit in a gallery in London, and the field um, someone who was in charge of the expedition, and I can't remember his exact title, happened to stumble in right and right. saw you know saw his photographs and saw that he had photographed on everest and figured well, all right this guy can this handle guy photographing at, at high altitude at, yep. you know that kind of at those kinds of high altitudes all right i would love to talk more about this but instead the listeners are just going to have to read the story on hiddencompass.net so let's talk about another one of the stories melissa bannigan am i saying that right bannigan's yes. the nautical alchemist so uh sabine do you want to tell us about melissa and about her story yeah, I, I really loved working on this story. Um, and this is one of the stories that just it evolved as she and I were writing it together. I was editing it and she was writing it. And the reason I love it so much is because it's about a traditional craft and the last person in this region who knows how to do this. And so often the story is when, you know, the modern technology is going to come and snuff this out. And it's kind of like this sad last gasp of air. But in this story... It's a portrait of a man who takes this traditional craft, adds his own spin to it, and is kicking the butts of all the modern versions of this technology. Yes, yes. Um, and this is, you know, the last traditional uh, boat builder in the French Caribbean. So he's taking, you know, centuries-old knowledge, um, but he adds his own twist, and he goes up against fiberglass boats and is winning. Yeah, winning races with the yeah. boats, right? Yeah. Which I like. is just a very different... You don't expect that. Right, um, right. And I think it really speaks to, you know, I, I'm very passionate about um, preserving uh, ancient knowledge and cu cultures. And I've done work with uh, indigenous communities in the Andes who uh, their way of life is built on oral tradition. And I think that this, is, this really speaks to the need to have some sort of compromise if you're going to try and preserve old ways of life to um, to bring them and modify them in a way where they can exist mm -hmm. um, in the modern day and rather 
just lament the fact that they're vanishing from the earth. Right. I think that's a great point. Let's move on to, because that's another one I would love to talk more about, but let's, I just want to make sure we hit all of your stories. James Michael Dorsey's A Stone for Henry Lehman or Lehman? Lehman. Lehman. Um, So I know, I saw James Michael Dorsey speak, I believe, at Litquake, and I know he's a Solace Award winner, and he read a fantastic story about his experience in Africa with this, this, this little boy that had created this, um, this like little sculpture. And it was, it was just a beautiful story. So I was, I was excited when I saw that he was in this issue. So can you tell us, uh, Savani about James and about his story? Absolutely. Uh, so that's another one of those stories that touches on these deep emotional threads, but it's so fantastically done that we couldn't, I couldn't imagine not running the story when I first read it. And it's a beautiful story, and it's, you know, it's touching on a very sensitive topic. You don't normally see stories that talk about, that, you know, that talk about the Holocaust and Auschwitz in, in travel magazines. That's not something you normally see. Vacationing in Auschwitz doesn't happen right. a lot. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was, I think it was important to us to run this story, because those are stories that still need to be told. And he has such a beautiful connection with a survivor of Auschwitz. And then returning to, and then going to Auschwitz for the first time for him, uh, about 10 years after he has this contact with this survivor. And so I think it's a, it's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. And this is another one of those where we had to sort of get creative. And I think we learned something from our first issue that helped us run this story, which was we didn't really want to run photographs with this story. Mm-hmm. It just didn't mm-hmm. seem like the appropriate fit, given sort of the gravity of it. And I don't think a photograph of Auschwitz would have done this story justice. And so this is where we hired Colette Hanahan, who's a San Francisco-based painter and artist, to illustrate this story. And I think that that really brought it together and just made it so much more powerful. And we had these beautiful ethereal images that she created for this story. And that was really cool is to reach out to her and to send her the story and to brainstorm with her, okay, like read this, see what speaks to you and how you envision illustrating the story, which is a huge challenge yeah, yeah. to give someone like such an eloquent and uh, touching evocative story to say, okay, now like paint this. Um, and she did an amazing job. She came back and, and really um, captured the spirit of that story. I just got exposed to her work for the first time um, I don't know, in the past couple of weeks. And I know she just had an exhibition in North Beach. And after I saw her work, I didn't go to the exhibition, but I saw it online. And I just, I loved her work. And so then again, I looked at, I, and her, her style is so distinctive that when I looked at the painting, even though I had just been introduced to her and her work, right away I thought, wait, isn't that that Colette that I just, that I just saw her work and, ju- and just met? Um, so again, I was I was really pleased to see that you guys had done that. And I think it, I also liked the fact, again, that you did. You decided to go with painting instead of photography or versus just not having anything at all right. in that story. Um, yeah, we I wanted it really to tell worked. stories through words and images, too. Right. This is a piece that definitely um, accomplished that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so also it's interesting, you reached out to her, it sounds like. So that's another instance of you didn't nec- you didn't have a bunch of painters knocking on your door because they weren't necessarily thinking that you would be including painting in your editions or your yeah. issues. Right. And, and so- that's what's interesting is that you say, you know, you talk to people and you say, oh, we're looking for a painter. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize painting was part of your magazine. Oh, I didn't realize that you published poetry. Oh, I didn't realize this. And that's was really the idea behind Hidden Compass is to break through those genres and to say anything goes as long as it's a powerful story about travel. Yeah. yeah, and we think that all of these disciplines can learn from one another. 
And I think when we come together, we elevate the craft of storytelling, which is what we are about. And so that's why photographers and painters and writers, I mean, there's all, there's stuff that we can learn from each other. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Well, you know, I think that um, sometimes when I see magazines who kind of talk in these sorts of terms, sometimes you just think, oh, it sounds good, but I'm a painter. So they're, of course, they're talking about other disciplines or I'm a poet and magazines focus on poetry or they focus on prose. And so these people are talking about, oh, you know, we're open to all, but really they have their thing. And so you're showing you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk. And so I'm sure that the more you continue to do things along these lines, now you're going to get deluged with, with paintings and poems and, and all the different genres. What about, and this is just off the top of my head, what about video? Have you thought about video? Because I was just thinking of other media that I was thinking, well, what else could there be? Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're a publishing house. Let's do video too. That's right. Why not? That's right. No, no holds barred. Nothing off limits. I I think we're just, we have the, the two co-founders and Liz as well. We all have this sense of discovery through this process. And I think that's important for any entrepreneur is you start something and you have a vision, but you just go where the path leads you. Right. Uh, So if the path leads us to video, then we'll go to video. So this is another question off the top of my head because I have something else. I want to talk a little bit more about the seminars, but I'm curious because I love your title. What about the title? Because when you're talking about, you know, following your path, that sort of thing, it made me think of the title Hidden Compass, which is a great title. I probably should have started with this question. (laughs) Where did you come up with the title? This was Liz. This was mostly This was Liz. Liz. Yeah, it was was the three of us sitting around a table at a coffee shop, but it was mostly Liz. At many coffee shops. At many coffee coffee shops. shops. (laughs) This is over months because it was very clear to us what we wanted to do and we had, but it took a long time for us to figure out how, what we wanted to call it. Right. Um, And so we just went through many iterations of, you know, the importance of narratives, external narratives, internal narratives and um, all this different. what imagery would work, you know, thinking about design you know, yeah. How could we create something that was going to be uniquely us? And lots of, I mean, compass is not exactly, you know, it's not a unique item. But being able to create an image around it that could be us and that could define us. And that could well, fit not just a magazine, but, um, but all a community. Things. All the things that we, you know, we had an idea that we wanted to run workshops. We had an idea that we would do other things and maybe publish anthologies. But we wanted a title that wasn't just magazine, but the experience of travel and writing and photography and painting and art. Well, and that's sort of along the lines of what I was going to say. You were sort of saying, you know, a compass isn't that, I don't know, unique or however you said it, but it speaks so specifically to travel. And visually it's interesting and it's kind of old school because I don't know how many people are using compasses anymore because now again, we've got computers doing that. You still use a compass? I still use a compass. That's fantastic. Well, she She's really in the where, where there is no GPS. Right. She goes to places, <laughs> which is a nice segue to the next segment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but so I think it's a great symbol. I like, I like, and I lo- like I said, I love, I love I the also, title. I wanted to talk about the tagline for a second because, yeah. um, so the tagline is find a story worth sharing. What I liked about that is that it could speak to so many different people if you're a writer or a photographer or an artist to find a story that you want to share with the world. But if you're a reader to find a story you want to share amongst people, if you're going on a workshop to find a story. But it's all about story. It's about finding that. And I think that's the uh, main thread that goes through all the different iterations of Hidden Compass. I love that. So before we move on, is, are there any other contributors that we've left out? Any other photographers? Any? Well, I want to make sure. So this issue, yeah, we Nicholas also Bratton. ran a story by Nicholas Bratton. Oh, shoot. You know what? 
Yeah, I forgot. That's I'm glad I asked. Yes. I'm glad I asked. That's right. <laughs> we run five every time. Yeah, exactly. This is actually a good segue to the, the next segment, too, because his story was about going to a place in his youth and then going back nearly 20 years later. Uh, and that's something that, you know, speaks to me, speaks to a lot of us, I think, is that relationships, sorry, travel <laughs> is like relationships and that you go to a place and it speaks to you in a certain way and then you want to go back. Um, sometimes you go to a place and you have a fling with a place, but sometimes you want it to be like more of a long-term thing. And there's a magic that happens when you are somewhere and then come back in a different stage in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I talk about that a lot just in casual conversations. You know, some people, they just want to make sure every time they go someplace, they're going someplace new, right? Check off right. more off the list. Some people, maybe the other way around, they just, they fall in love with Paris and they know that when they've got time off from work, they're going to Paris because they just feel such a strong connection with the place. I kind of do 50-50 now because there are certain places I do feel a connection with. I feel, you know, I land and I'm back wherever that might place, that place might be and I just feel home again, but then I'm also still curious. So I kind of try to break it up into not necessarily 50-50, but um, because I, and I say that all the time, our relationships with places are very similar to our relationships with people and they Definitely. evolve. Absolutely. They evolve. Uh, we have about 60 seconds before we have to do a station ID and then um, Savani is going to want to talk about Antarctica and we're going to want to just ask her a million things about Antarctica. But I want to make sure the seminars, um, that's the next thing you have coming up in Big Sur. Is it Big Sur? Carmel. Carmel, Carmel, Carmel Big, Sur. Big Sur. Uh, tell us again the, the dates. The March 24th to the 25th. 24th Saturday to the 25th. Sunday. So it's a day and a half long workshop. It's uh, open to photographers and writers. Uh, writers who want to work on their photography. Photographers who want to work on their writing. Writers who want to work on their writing. Photographers who want to work on their photography. Anybody who wants to. Can you say to. that again? <laughs> Faster? <laughs> Yeah. Did we you leave said, out any? Did we leave out any permutations? Seconds, so I'm just yeah. Going. Did we leave out any permutations there? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but it's about capturing a sense of place. Right. Okay. Sign up for that work. You still have places. You still. Have, we do still have places. Okay. There's still places. So go to hiddencompass.net. That's hiddencompass.net. Check out the current edition, the previous two editions.